0: Friends, Rich here and welcome to the Youth Ministry Conversation. It's so great you've decided to take some time out and join us for this session. We hope this will be a space where you can take a few minutes to listen, learn and reflect. In this episode, we'll be welcoming Jimmy Dale, National Youth Evangelism Officer for the Church of England and hearing his thoughts on what's next for youth ministry in a post-COVID-19 world. This was taken from our last online gathering of the Youth Ministry Conversation. So, friends, grab yourself a pen, a notebook, sit in your favourite comfy chair, and let's listen to what Jimmy had to say.
1: I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about uh, youth ministry in a post-COVID world. That's kind of the title that I've been given. Um, and I want to look at three things that I think over the last 18 months I've identified as um Things that we've been learning, uh, but actually, I think things that aren't just uh, lessons for while we're in COVID. They're actually things that we carry forward um, as we come out of lockdown. So they're redefining size and success, um, which sounds like similar to kind of what Lucy was saying, redefining evangelism and outreach redefining structure. Um, So, uh, first up is redefining size and success. Um, One of the things that I have found really, really interesting recently is this model here. Uh, Some of you guys might have come across this. Um, It's a model by a guy called Joseph Myers. Um, If you Google search to belong, there's, there's loads of blogs and stuff about it. But he talks about the different ways uh, that we engage with with people generally, but I think it's all really applicable to young people and especially our our ministry with them. Because I think there's a narrative that I don't think we fully realised how much was was prevalent, but actually I think is so true. And that is that numbers equals success. The more numbers you have, the more successful you were. So actually what we ended out with was we ended out – prioritizing and valuing whatever events gave us the, the biggest number of young people so within this that kind of that public space um, and i mean they've given some kind of some some kind of broad numbers here but they're kind of they're flexible they're not fixed on this um Kind of that public space is ultimately it's about that visibility type stuff and so often that was kind of your big celebration events so be that going to a kind of movement evening or um kind of going away for a kind of residential like sub survivor or something like that Um, but those kind of those big pivotal moments that was kind of that was the that was the most exciting point in the year Um, the next kind of down was that kind of that social space Um, so kind of, there was an availability element there. Um, so drop-ins are the kind of classic, like, uh, I always kind of half joke, um, the kind of dodgeball and hot chocolate. That's the kind of classic, your classic social space. Um, and when I was a, when I was a kind of face-to-face youth worker working in the parish, um, I remember huge amounts of my time and effort used to go into running those kind of those big social spaces. How can we get as many young people in as we can? Um, but I think one of the the challenges that COVID has brought is that suddenly that social space and the public space have just been stripped away from us. That they, they just don't exist anymore. Um, and so what we've ended out with is we've we've ended out bumping down into these other spaces. That if I'm honest, I think for lots of us we we'd kind of neglect it. Um, so the kind of the next one down is this kind of personal space. Um, and this really is about kind of accountability so kind of your small groups, cell groups, that kind of stuff um, which I think I, I know that my own kind of experience of talking to lots of youth workers is that if if churches did have uh, small groups or cell groups, the likelihood w- was that it was kind of, it was almost something which was reserved for the kind of the core young people. The young people who were kind of most on fire for Jesus will we'll have them in a cell group, but everyone else kind of the social space is where you're going to come and you're going to play a dodgeball and you're going to feel included, and that's great. Um, and actually the the intimate space and the divine space, we didn't think about at all. But one of the things which I think has been really, really interesting over, over the last eight, 18 months has been this kind of almost kind of re um re-ignition around this kind of idea what does small look like and a and a kind of deep-rooted recognition that actually there is a real beauty in small I think what lots of people did was that they kind of they ended up creating those kind of small groups um and actually for lots of them they bumped down to, to the kind of the intimate space to the kind of two to four type stuff um, and there was all kinds of different names that people came up for this, like pods or um, yeah, I kind of heard a whole bunch of them, hubs. Um, but within that, essentially was um, small, small groups is, is the easiest way to understand that. And I think a lot of that was driven when we had the rule of six, um, that kind of that was the easiest way to do it. But I think one of the things that lots of people mentioned to me that they found really almost quite shocking was that the young people who they assumed kind of where they were on their faith journey were actually nowhere near where they thought they were. That actually they're most on fire for Jesus' young people. They were having to do kind of really basic kind of catechesis stuff. They were almost having to do like alpha group stuff. Like how do we help talk you through what does your faith even mean to you? Do you have you ever made a decision to follow Jesus? Um, so there was kind of there was something in that, but actually, there was something which happened amongst young people as well. But in those smaller spaces, actually there's a vulnerability that comes in, uh, that there's an accountability that comes in, that there's that if you've only got five young people showing up, everyone knows who you are, and everybody knows if you're not there. So actually, with your big spaces, with your social space, with your public space, I, I mean, I've, I've been in youth groups before, where I've run, where I've been volunteering. Where you get to the end of the night and you're like, I think we had 45 tonight. And if someone said, tell me how many, tell me the names of those 45, I could probably give you five, ten tops, and that's it. So actually, that numbers equal success thing is so ingrained that actually I haven't even taken the time to figure out who's there. Because actually when you've got five. Not only do you know who's there, but actually you get to ask those deeper questions. There's no space in that for people to kind of sit quietly and be a bit of a passenger. And actually, I think that for lots of people, they found that that's brought out in their young people far more openness to be able to ask the bigger questions that they've wanted to ask. I think one of the other things that's become really transformative is that next space down the divine space. Um, so, that identity stuff, the kind of the personal time. I know that definitely with the, the young people in my small group, um, we've spent so much time over the last 18 months talking about things like, um, how do I get into reading my Bible each day? How do I, how do I pray? Um, kind of things where, and a lot of those are kind of church kids, and you kind of you assume that they know this stuff. But actually, I think it's been, it's been really enlightening that for lots of them, this is a really new idea, this idea of kind of personal discipline of what does it look like for me to follow Jesus outside of all the, the kind of the constructs and safety blankets that sometimes we, we kind of offer as youth work. So I think one of the things which um, I, the kind of, I, I think I've really learned over the last um, 18 months is actually that numbers doesn't equal success. That actually numbers are great, and they're like if you've got loads of numbers, then that's brilliant. But actually, numbers so often lead to a lack of intimacy. And actually, I think what we've realised is that young people are craving intimacy. They're craving people to know who they are, to ask them the deeper questions, and that happens best in the smaller spaces. And um, I was talking recently to uh, to Tom Clark, who's the some of you guys might know, who's the youth worker at HDB in London, which is kind of the, the biggest uh, the biggest church um, in the Church of England as far as children and young people. So they've got 600-plus teenagers. And he said that um, the, lo- the lockdown for them has made this dramatic shift where actually everything they did was about moving people up the bubbles. So actually the divine space, the intimate space, the personal space, the social space was all about getting you to the public space. It was about how do we get you into the biggest events going? And actually that there'd been this complete U-turn and that actually now their entire ministry was about how do we get you down the circles? That actually instead of saying, you know what, we're going to let you just hang out in the big kind of anonymous kind of larger spaces, we're going to plug you straight in at that kind of that intimate space. You're going to go straight in at a pod. You're going to be part of a small group. And that's the place where you're going to kind of reside while we're getting to know you. So I think that there's, there's something there about how can we redefine what success looks like as far as numbers and have that be about depth rather than about numbers. So um, second thing I think that I've noticed is about how we redefine uh, evangelism and outreach. Um, like I said, I think for, for lots of people, um, when they've looked at their church ministry, when we went into lockdown, the group that kind of disappeared was um, all of our, kind of our outreach stuff. So the things which we were doing with young people outside of church So we had kind of our church kids and the church kids kind of broke into three groups. So you kind of, you had your core group, which became incredibly apparent. So normally that's kind of the curates kids and uh, kind of you've got a couple of, a couple of other keynotes and they're there every single week. They're kind of there. Loving Jesus or at least their loving youth group. But they're there and they're they're ready to engage in whatever you want to throw at them. Um you've then got that kind of that fringe group. So actually if you're listening, who are the young people who are who are in my youth group, then actually they're the ones who are kind of they'll drop in, they'll drop out. So going back to our kind of um the model which we looked at a second ago, they'd be the ones who've come to your drop in, but they're not there every week. They're quite happy sitting on the outside, they're to their friend, but they're not going to massively engage. But then there's also I think this third group that I think we've we've started to identify when we're looking at especially kind of um, young people during during the pandemic, and that's kind of the disengaged. So actually, who are the young people who are in our churches that actually don't engage with anything that we do? And there'll be all kinds of reasons for why they do that. Um, but almost they kind of they form these three different groups, all of them kind of under this banner of church kids. Um, and I think that within that, when we talk about evangelism and outreach, actually what's kind of emerged has been this idea of almost retention evangelism. That ultimately within that, we want as many of the young people to move towards that core as we can. That actually we realize that lots of our church kids, maybe we, we thought that they have made some kind of a decision to follow Jesus, and actually they haven't. Um, And so actually, how do we begin to do that kind of that catechesis stuff with our young people? So um, things like the Youth Alpha course, like I know that they've seen an enormous boom in churches doing that with their young people. And I think a lot of that is around how do we engage the young people who maybe haven't been part of that core, but actually we now have a bit more time, a bit more space to be able to say, how do we engage deeper with you and help you to explore some of those kind of faith questions? But I think there's a second group, which is kind of the group that we had kind of pre-COVID, which was kind of more that kind of community uh, group. So some of that will be young people's friends. Um, So uh, kind of whether that's core young people or fringe young people, there's kind of they've got friends who might come along. They might have friends who they talk about who don't come along. Um, You've got young people who are in your community more generally. So uh, that might be through kind of detached stuff. That might be young people who hang out outside your church. And then you've got a much bigger group, which is kind of young people uh, in local schools. And I think one of the things within that, that we we, we talk about evangelism is that kind of outreach evangelism. And I think that both of those, the retention evangelism and the outreach evangelism, pre-COVID for most churches, there was a focus on one or the other. That... Most churches would say we try and do both, but actually if you looked at what you were doing, what you'd find was that you you were doing one a lot more than the other. And I think what we've seen is we've seen as numbers have kind of dropped, that that kind of numbers equals success element has really kicked in again. And actually evangelism and outreach has stopped being about how do we share our faith and how do we try and reclaim some of those numbers? So when we look at that, I know that actually that idea of having three core young people who are really on fire for Jesus, somehow the idea of talking to 500 young people in a school, that seems seems so much more exciting. And so actually we can't get that. So how can we kind of claw from some of the other groups? So maybe that's the fringe group or the disengaged group or maybe some of the young people's friends. And I think one of the things that I've really seen within that, and I've heard lots of young people say, You know what, I just really feel at the moment that what I really need is that the young people just need a place to come and be and have fun and a safe space. All those things are so key and important. But I think we run a risk with that. Um, some of you guys would have read uh, Simon Sinek uh, has written a book called Start With Why. Um, if you haven't read it, massive fan of it. I'm a bit of a fanboy of his. Um, but uh, he wrote this book where he talks about this model and he's got a fantastic TED talk on it where he talks about lots of people will know what we do. Some people know how we do it, uh, but very few will know why we do it. And we're not very good at even, even as kind of core team, as leaders, of knowing why we do it. And I think that so often that's true of our youth ministry. We know what we do as youth ministry. We know kind of how we do it. But I think so often it's easy to forget why we do it. Um, Another book I'd love to recommend you read, um, if you haven't already, is Andrew Root's new book, The End of Youth Ministry. Um, I think over the last, probably the last decade, it's probably one of the most profound books that I've read um, and in that, he talks about this idea that ultimately we we have a society that is about how do we aim for the good, that ultimately this is what parents want for their kids. They want, they want them to have a good life. Um, and so he says this in it. He says, youth ministry is for the good. For youth ministry to be about God, it must be about seeking and following the good. Youth ministry's aim is not just a good life. Every basketball camp, debate club, and computer club claims to deliver this. This kind of good life offers happiness, identity, and good life. It seeks to give young people visions and practices in which to point their life. is the encounter and participate in the good. It aims for the good as an end, and it seeks an encounter with God as the source of the good. He talks about, and and I'm sure for lots of you this will resonate, that um, when it comes to Friday evening, you'll have parents who will think, you know what, my, my son or daughter has got a big cricket match tomorrow, but they've got a youth group tonight and maybe they can do one or the other. And so often cricket will win out because ultimately they're really good at cricket and actually they might get to play in the, in the county team and then they might get a scholarship to, to uni and, and then actually they can go on to play cricket professionally. And actually there's so much good in that. And actually what we do is we say, we'll come to the youth group, it'll be really fun. And we we do ourselves a huge disservice in that that we forget the why of what we're doing and ultimately um Andrew root talks about this that ultimately the reason why we do what we do is because we want to introduce young people to the ultimate good, which is God um one of the one of the things which I've um, always found profoundly uh challenging is a is a quote from penn Juliet so um uh, 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 Pen and Teller, who were kind of uh, magicians a long time ago. Um, he was an atheist, but he, he said this famous quote once, and um, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And as for atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say just leave, uh, leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that i mean if i believe beyond the shadow of doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you there's a certain point where i tackle you and this is more important than that i think for me there's something in that that i look at young people especially when i'm thinking about those young people kind of maybe in a kind of more community sense and I think, well, let's not mention the God stuff yet because it might scare them off. I'll wait until there's a there's a special time, like when they're ready. That's one of the phrases which I hear all the time. I'm just not sure my young people are ready for this yet. And that Andrew book, which, really, uh, Andrew Reap, which I really encourage you to read, he talks about the fact that actually the good that we find in God, that ultimately a life following God is the best thing that we have to offer young people. And so it's so key that we remember that that's part of it. I'm super aware of time uh, ticking away, so I'm going to shoot through this last one, uh, which is about redefining structure. Um, I think that, especially when we're thinking about this, um, a big thing of what we want is we want to see as many young people move to that, that core group as we possibly can. And so we go for the biggest numbers and we kind of assume it's a bit like a funnel. So ultimately what we want is we want contact and as much contact as possible will lead to commitment. Um, this is this is a model which is from a book called From the Abundance of Heart uh, Catholic Evangelism for All Christians, which is by uh, Archbishop Stephen Cottrell. Um, uh, it looks like a really dry book. It's actually brilliant. Um, in that he talks about the fact that very rarely, unless you're pulled, does this happen. That normally there's a middle section here, which is nurture, which is where where do we give the space to ask, give young people the opportunity to ask the big, deep, meaningful questions. Um, Beyond that, he says that when we when they make commitments, so often, uh, what Kendrick Casey Dean calls barcode theology, that we just kind of we're so concentrated on getting them to stand up, say the prayer, um, whatever that looks like, that we kind of just want to get them barcode on, scanned into heaven, jobs are good in. But he talks about the fact that after that, there's this section of growth, and actually the um, the part of growth isn't about going and sitting in a corner, realizing how much God loves you and waiting for heaven, but it's about realizing that you're called to go and make contact. The thing which I find really interesting about this model, and especially as we think about what youth ministry looks like as we move out of COVID, is I think so often we do really good contact and we do a bit of growth, but actually the nurture and the commitment stuff we're not as great at. I think especially that nurture stuff... Um, Something which I found really, really helpful um, is uh, the Mission Style stuff, which Fusion have done. Uh, If you haven't come across that, they've got a website, Um, missionstyles.org. In that, they talk about these four different ways that Jesus does missions. So convince me. um, So that's your kind of classic kind of apologetics, like you've got questions, I've got answers. There's the let me experience, like just pick me up and dump me in the middle of a worship session. Let's just see what happens. Talk with me, which is different from convince me. Talk with me is... Uh, the kind of a Emmaus Road type stuff, like what is it that's going on in your life at the moment and how do I help you find where is God at work in that? And the show me stuff that actually, you know what, you following in Jesus makes a difference. Show me the difference that it makes. I think the thing which really excites me about this is a model for that um, the nurture stuff is that actually if we're looking at a model which values the small, then actually we don't have to find a way where we can only do convince me or only do talk with me that actually you can tailor this for smaller groups of young people. You can tailor this for individual young people. Instead of having to say, you know what, we'll all go down to the the night shelter or we'll all go down to the food bank for a show me stuff, you can say to one individual young person, you know what, why don't you come down with me and we'll look at what's happening there. You can sit down and you can do an apologetics kind of session with a smaller group. Um, You can say to a smaller group, hey, you know what, on Sunday evening we're doing this worship thing at church I don't know if you'd be interested, but I'd love for you to come along that I think there's the possibility within that to be able to do that in a far more tailored way. And I think my encouragement with this model is that so often we think we can do all four of those in one group. And my challenge for us would be, actually, how do we make these distinct? But Stephen Cottrell talks about the fact that all four of these are evangelism, but they're only evangelism on two conditions. The first one is that all four are present, which I think so often we have one or two and the other two are a bit lacking but also that they work in conjunction with each other. So actually, it's all well and good having a contact group and then having a separate nurture group. But how are you looking to see young people transition from contact into nurture, from nurture into commitment, from commitment into growth, and from growth back out into contact? And I think that those spaces that we started out talking about, actually, that's another really great way to be able to frame some of this. Um, But as we begin to reimagine what I'm sure for lots of us will feel like a kind of rebuilding of youth ministry. Um, So, yeah, my challenge to you would be about redefining what success looks like, that actually small is beautiful, and actually there's a depth which you can get in small, which you just can't get in big, Um, that actually it's about redefining our evangelism and our outreach, but how do we not shy away from the fact that we're about helping young people to see the good that comes from a life of following God, that how do we make that our central why? But thirdly, actually, how do we see the ministry, which we have, not be disconnected, but actually connect with each other so that we have separate spaces for contact, nurture, commitment and growth, but which work in that fluid and joined up way?
0: Well, thanks for that, Jimmy. I think what Jimmy had to share with us today was really refreshing and has helpfully given us lots to think about in how we look to do things moving forward friends a big thing for us to remember is success is not all about having large numbers of young people in our youth ministries success is about helping young people have a deep and lasting faith in jesus well that's it for this episode of the youth ministry conversation we hope it's been helpful and we look forward to engaging with you again at one of our next gatherings or online at WeAreMovement.net. But for now, take care and have a great rest of your day.